0: How are we doing, Jets fans? I'm Glenn Norton with JetNation Radio, JetNation.com. Be sure to log into JetNation.com where you can log in and join, what is, join and become a part of what is the most active Jets message board on the web. Very special guest today. Um, I know all of you by this point are familiar with the Draft Network and the work they do. We've got Chris Schubert of the Draft Network joining us today. I actually, in recent weeks, as draft season is ramping up, I've been looking for a lot of different pods, used the Draft, net, I used the draft Network's draft tool pretty much daily, uh, saw that they had a pod, checked it out. Chris is a part of it. I heard them mention that he is, in fact, the, uh, the in-house, the resident Jets fan. And I thought, I've got to reach out to this guy. Great site. And, and by the way, uh, Chris, tip of the cap to the Draft Network, I mean, that's a, that's a, a tool that draft nerds have been wanting for years. Um, others have piled on and, 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 you know, you see some copycats out there. But you guys do great work. Chris, uh, you do a great job with the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, Very excited to be here. Excited to talk uh, Jets football. Yes, I am the resident punching bag over at TDN when it comes to being a Jets fan. That is my role uh, on the podcast, in the staff meetings that we have. It is make fun of Chris because he's a Jets fan. and Yeah listen, the draft network, it's a, it's a great place to work for. I enjoy it. And that, that, listen, you're on the, you're on the mock draft machine all the time. What do you think I do? What do you think I do when I'm in between stuff during the day? I'm on the site doing yep. mock drafts all day long. So I'm a Jets fan. Of course, that's what I do.
0: Yeah, it is. It's um, it, it's such a great tool. I mean, it, it, one of my favorite things about it, aside from the obvious being able to run these mocks is it's a great opportunity to get, you know, to go through a full list of names and get names that you probably wouldn't have seen otherwise in years past. I know for myself, I would always look forward to you know th- that first sort of seven round mock of the season, no matter who it came from, just because it would probably be the most extensive list you could find of draft eligible players. Um, now through you guys, you can get three or four hundred guys deep, and uh, you know you're looking. You know when you get to the bottom of that list, you're getting guys who are unlikely to be drafted, but you're looking at you know priority free agents, undrafted guys. When when you're into this stuff enough, that's a whole another that that's a whole another game itself, really is trying to figure out who the, uh, who the, the day three or the, the priority undrafted guys that, that can make an impact are going to be. Yeah. Um, that,
1: that, that's a shout out to our scouting department, right? That They work extremely hard to scout. You know, I think by the time the season is done, by the time the draft rolls around, there will be over 400 different scouting reports on guys um, for, for people to go through, to, to read up on these guys after they get drafted, because, uh, like, listen, I love draft. It's what I do. It's my job. I know for Jets fans, it's the same way. But for a lot of people, they don't necessarily know about the guys that are getting drafted on day three. And so those scouting reports are a perfect resource for them. So, yeah, it, the draft never stops. It's a year-round thing. But we are getting into the, the meat and potatoes of draft season, and it's always a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, So in regards to the Jets, this draft season, just wanted to get your opinion on whether or not this is something that I feel like people say this every year. And I did an article a few weeks ago saying this. And had to kind of, you know, recalibrate myself and, and make sure I wasn't being hyperbolic. But it does feel like this draft for a myriad of reasons is is one of the more important classes the Jets will have will have brought in, in in recent memory, maybe the last couple of decades, really. When you look at the circumstances, when you look at the needs, when you look at the depth of the class, when you look at the premium picks, coaching in, in down in, in in Mobile with uh with the lions, like how big, how important is this class for, not just for Joe Douglas, but really for the jets as a whole.
1: I think it's very important and it's very important for a couple of different reasons, right? I think first you look at, there has been a priority put in place by Joe by Joe Douglas to not make the same mistakes that the previous regime did when they brought in Sam Darnold by not surrounding their young quarterback with talent. Well, year one, you get the quarterback, you surround him with Makai Beckton from last year from two years ago's draft. You trade up and get Elijah Vera Tucker. Okay, you're starting to build that infrastructure. Now you got to expand that. You got to add weapons to this receiving court. You need to beef up the offensive line, and then you need to get your quarterback a defense so he doesn't have to drop forty five points every game in order to win. That's part one. Is not doing what the mistakes that they did with Sam. But part two is this draft is the culmination of the last part of the Jamal Adams trade, because they have the second Seattle pick, which I don't think any of us thought was going to be a top 10 pick when the season began. So you got to hit a home run there. And then, Oh, by the way, you're picking 38 because Carolina said, yeah, we'll give you a two for Sam Darnold. No problem. Here you go. So you have four top 40 picks a lot of that because you were able to salvage from a bad situation in Jamal Adams and you were able to salvage from what was a mistake in not being able to put Sam Darnold in a position to succeed. So it feels like, okay, you were able to recoup, recoup some of what was bad here. Now you got to go out and do something with it. And so when you have four top 40 picks, man, you got to hit home runs here. And, and I trust Joe Douglas in order to do that. Uh, and having four swings at the bat in the top 40 is going to mean some really good players. Some really high profile names are going to come off the board. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of reasons why this has to be important because this is your three for Joe and that first draft class didn't get great, great marks. That second draft class. Okay. You're starting to build something. This third draft class with all these picks coming in, this has to be a home run for Joe Douglas.
0: Yeah, I agree that that first Douglas class is, is looking bad in a lot of ways right now. I, I, I feel like if, if Makai Becton can get healthy, I'm, I'm not among those who have given up on Beckton. I know everyone is so knee jerk and everyone is so extreme with every reaction that for every little thing that happens, not to say that what happened with Becton was little, um, you know, there, there are some concerns there in terms of durability, in terms of, you know, the, these reports that came out through the NFL network saying Beckton was putting on weight while his rehab was already going slow. I don't think Mike Garfalo is making that up. And I don't think that news gets out there by accident. So there is there is some concern about that. But if Beckton gets his head on straight, hits his potential, um, of course, you've got Bryce Hall. And even if even if, say, you have a, a backup safety, um, you know, with Ashton Davis, that that makes it a, a class you can kind of live with, you know, because you're going to have classes, as we know as Jet fans, you're going to have classes where you pick 12 or 13 guys, and none of them are good. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. You have seven or eight guys, and, and if if Beckton hits his ceiling, I don't think anyone in their right mind – he doesn't even have to hit his ceiling. His ceiling, to me, is Hall of Fame. Um, if he falls short of that and makes a few Pro Bowls, I can live with that. Um, you know, Bryce Hall is going to be a steady starter for many years. That's two guys at premium spots that can kind of salvage that class. But you're right in that it right now it's on life support. Denzel Mims, who knows what to make of that? I'm honestly lost for words. I don't, I can't recall a more disappointing season from a player than what we saw from him last year after flashing as a rookie. But so sitting at four and 10, I mean, first I wanted to get your thoughts on Mims. Do you think the Jets give up on him and and move him? I mean, you're not going to get much for him at this point. Um, so do you just stick with him and see what he can do, see if he gets his head on straight? Um, and then what do you do in, in a, what is your perfect? day one, round one scenario for the New York Jets with the fourth and 10 picks, including trade downs, if, if that's part of, in your mind, the ideal scenario. All
1: right, so a lot, lot to answer here, a lot to digest. This is going to be good. So first on the Mims thing, I can't give up on somebody when it appears as if they had already given up on being productive, right? I mean, just watch Denzel Mims this season and tell me that that's a guy that you want to bring back and have be a part of this receiver core. He had opportunities this year, right? Corey Davis missed time. At the end of the season, like, nobody was healthy. Raxton Berrios missed time. Corey Davis wasn't around. Elijah Moore wasn't around. I mean, the, the, Keelan Cole was catching passes from this football team who was supposed to be brought in as a wide receiver three, wide receiver four. He was their top option. And Denzel Mims, I, it, I, it was probably because it's the last game of the season, but it's the, it's the image of Denzel Mims' season that is just mirrored in my brain of the one snap he gets, the one play he goes out there in the Buffalo game, he commits a false start penalty. It's things like that that we saw week in and week out last season that made me go, man, there's just not there's not going to be room on this team because they have to get another receiver. Right. They have to add more talent to Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. I think going the trade market would be better than using four or 10 on a receiver. And we can talk about maybe there's there's one guy that I have circled and I'm going to pound the table for in the trade market. But I would be I would move on from Denzel Mims. Listen, it's okay to admit that you made a mistake. Drafted Denzel Mims in the in second round. It didn't work out. Okay, we're just gonna wash our hands of this and we're gonna move on. And it's time to, to, to start fresh. He probably needs to change the scenery. The Jets need to change the scenery. Just move on. And, and again, you're not gonna get any form. For what are you gonna get? Six or seven? I don't think you're getting, I mean, that's probably the best you can do if you're gonna trade Denzel Mims. You're trading him at the lowest of values. So yeah, I would move on from Mims. Don't expect a whole lot form, and just wa- wash the slate clean for everybody and just move on. Now Perfect scenario when it comes to four and tens interesting because I have reached this point and it's only February 11th. Normally it takes me a little bit longer to get here, but I've reached the point where you have two top 10 picks. There are great players. I think elite talent that you can get at the top of the draft. Now, will the jets be able to get one of those pass rushers at four that everyone thinks is elite that, you know, the board's got to play out in a way that allows you to get Thibodeau or hitch or uh, Hutchinson at four. 10 is tough because I think there's this middle ground and, and at TD and we've talked about this a lot. There's this middle ground of the first round where not a lot of these guys probably should go in that spot, but this is more of a deep class than it is a top tier talent class. And so I, I think you've got the, the board's going to have to come to you, but there are so many different players that I think make sense at 10 that I'm not marrying myself to man, the jets, Joe Douglas has to get this guy at four and this guy at 10. And it's funny because I, I see a lot of mock drafts, on both TDN and elsewhere. And I see different names get thrown out there. Like I see Derek Stingley coming off the board at 10 and I'm like, man, nah, I don't think the jets are going to do that. I don't think they're going to take a corner at 10. And then I see people be like, Oh, they're going to take Drake London at 10. And I'm like, that's really high for Drake London. I think that's a little high for a wide receiver. So if there are some principles that I do have that like, I don't think a corner at 10 makes a lot of sense. I do think if they would take a corner, it would be sauce Gardner before it would be Derek Stingley. And then wide receiver. I just think 10's a little rich. I don't think there is a, top 10 level talent at wide receiver and if there was one it would probably be Jamison williams but are you going to draft a guy at number 10 overall who you're not going to have for a good portion of the season that just feels a little risky when this is such an important draft class
0: yeah i think the receiver question is a good one i think um what i watched today i watched um uh, texas a&m arkansas um and watched a bit more Treylon burks he's a good player <laughs> i mean good player like, like I said, I've, I've, I've said to a million people on Twitter, I don't want a receiver in the top 10, but when you watch Traylon Burks make these plays, I mean, no, I wouldn't be upset if he were on the roster. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad uh, if he were the pick at 10. I just, I just don't know that I see that happening. Um, I think, you know, for me, I think uh, you're looking at uh, offensive tackle at four or an edge if one of the edge guys falls. And then 10, I think it's either a trade down or, or an edge guy. Um, and and you guys, as you know, Senior Bowl just took place. We had one of our guys, Dylan Terriman, was down there. I think he actually he told me he bumped into some uh, TDN guys while he was down there. Um, so who um, – because to me, the the picket 10, if I got to stay put, is is going to be the top edge guy. Who do you – what do you think of this edge class? I love this edge class. Like you said, there's not a – there. you know, you have the top two guys, and outside of that, some some guys who can be, I think, very good to – you know, great starters. Um, you know, that all depends on how these guys develop, but how do you feel about this class as a whole? I love it. I feel like there are five, six, seven guys. I'd be comfortable with getting in sort of the middle of the first round. If you, if you were to trade down from 10 and some that maybe you just straight out, take at 10.
1: It's a lot of fun, right? Because every, all the attention is on, um, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. But you have George Karloftis. You have David Ojabo. You have, who has slowly become my my favorite edge if the Jets are going to take an edge at 10, Florida State's Jermaine Johnson. This dude at the Senior Bowl was the best player all three days of practice on either team. You just watched him and you're like, oh, that's the best player here. Got it. We're good. Every single day, he was winning reps over and over and over again. It was impressive. So that's the guy that if they're going to take an edge of 10, that's the guy that I have circled because I just watched him for three days um, at senior bowl practice. And he just pops every time you watch him take a rep. But other than those three guys, I mean, you have Boye Mafé who showed out at, at, at senior bowl, right? There are so many different guys. And again, you, you have to keep in mind that Robert Sal has done this before where he's coached the senior bowl. It wasn't in the head coaching role here with New York, right. but he was on that coaching staff in San Francisco when they went down there they put value on being able to see these guys up close and personal and being able to get to know them. Right. There was a, there was a, it went all across jets, Twitter of Joe Douglas talking with Trevor Penning, right? That, Mm -hmm. that went viral. Everyone's like, like, Oh, the jets are going to take Trevor Penning by the way, Trevor Penning, that guy would be a lot of fun in this jets offense. Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm sure everybody saw the the compilations of Trevor Penning just constantly just being in people's faces and, and being nasty. It was every rep. Like the compilation couldn't have been long enough for Twitter because you can only put up like a two-minute video on Twitter. It was every rep. He was shoving somebody to the ground. He was talking trash. He was in somebody's face. It was incredible to see. So that's another guy that the Jets up close personal, Joe Douglas talking to Trevor Penning. You start to connect those dots at least a little bit because we know Sal likes to do this, these kinds of things. So – the edge class in, in general, I love a lot. There's, I, I think, great value that you can get. But Jermaine Johnson at 10 would make a lot of sense because I don't know if a Jabo or Karloftis makes sense at four. That feels a little rich for me. I think both of those guys have question marks. And, I, and honestly, Glenn, I, I think Jermaine Johnson is certainly threatening. If he does well um, at the scouting combine, I think he's threatening to be edge three. Right. I think he's threatening to to leapfrog Ojabo and Karloftis and be in that conversation with Hutchinson and Thibodeau because mm-hmm. you're starting to see the noise about Thibodeau about, you know, where does he want to play, that kind of thing. And that noise might scare some teams off. And Jermaine Johnson might come up the board. But yeah, Jermaine Johnson's my guy at 10.
0: I think that's uh, one of the concerns I had with Jermaine Johnson is that he may have played himself into a spot where he's off the board at 10. Um, you know, maybe the Giants grab him a little bit earlier than you know, than the before the Jets have a chance to get him there. Um, and then maybe you're, you know, Carl Laftis probably fits the physical profile more so than an Ajabo. I, I, I said a couple, I don't know, uh, a month or so ago that, you know, go go Iquanu at four and Ajabo at 10. Um, but, you know, there is that that sort of, there's that school of thought that is, is he more of a three, four guy? Is he going to fit what the Jets want to do? I feel like Robert Sala can make that guy contribute. You know, you, you're not going to draft an Ajabo and have Robert Sala say, well, I don't know what to do with this guy now. Um, you know, he, he's got enough talent there. Um, is he raw? Yeah, a little bit, but still the, the, the first step, the spin move, the tenacity, like there's a lot there to work with it. And a reason why he for a long time has been edge three. Um, I think some of the concerns are overblown about, you know, is it a big deal that he's playing opposite Hutchinson and is that helping him? You know, the, the, the skills are the skills and he's got them. So we'll see where that, where the jets go with that. But the, the other key position, you know, while maybe not as premium a position as edge, but in terms of where the Jets have a huge need. And in my mind, in my mind, going into the senior bowl, I thought, I thought the tight end group was the deepest class there, the deepest group in the class. Um, You just had guys up and down, um, you know, from the top guys, you know, McBride and likely and Weidermeyer all the way down to, you know, the Greg Dulcich of UCLA, who I became a big fan of while actually watching a lot of Zach Charbonnet when I thought Charbonnet was going to come out. Um, I Mm -hmm. loved Charbonnet, but in watching him, I, I, you know, you're like, oh, Kyle Phillips, this guy can play, you know, Dulcich can play. Um, but the tight end, Jake Ferguson, another tight end. Um, James Mitchell from Virginia Tech, who's not getting a lot of talk because he was hurt for much of this season. But he's another guy who can be a sort of a, a do-it-all, why tight end. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on this group? Um, are, are you among the Jets fans who have probably ordered a Trey McBride Jets jersey? Um, and, and how much could he help this offense?
1: I'll tell you what. The tight ends was a group that when I got down to Mobile, I said, okay, first day of practice, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch this group because I knew the tight ends that were on the jet side of the ball that they had gotten on, on their team. And I was like, okay, I'm going to watch, watch this group. And this group had Trey McBride and it had Jeremy Ruckert in it, right? It had them going basically back to back in reps. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, I understand the Trey McBride love. I, I caught the fever myself. I really liked what I saw from Trey McBride. It was a talking point amongst some of the TDN content team of man, look, we got to watch Trey McBride. Didn't impress me day one looked just very slow felt like everything was everything was tough for him to to get free to create separation wasn't impressed and then you you the, the, the fun part about the senior bowl is you get to watch a Trey McBride rep and and he go and you see him and you go, okay, that didn't impress me. And then you follow it up with a rep from Jeremy Rucker where everything just looked effortless. Everything looked fluid. It was smooth. It was, he was able to create separation. He, everything looked like it was just one motion. Didn't feel like he had to get into another gear. Everything looked great. When you're able to put those reps back to back, that's where you're able to differentiate yourself. And I'll tell you this, Trey McBride came back and had a great practice the next day in the rain and then looked good when, when they were inside. So I'm not out on Trey McBride but Trey McBride isn't the player that I think I thought he was coming in, right? We talk about this Jets offense and we obviously compare it to uh, a Shanahan offense and we obviously compare it to George Kittle. I don't think Trey McBride is a George Kittle right? I just don't think he can be that kind of player. Um, but I'm still in on Trey McBride if they want to take him at 35 or 38. But Jeremy Ruckert is my tight end one. Was not used a lot in that Ohio State offense, right? Wasn't. It's not the way Ohio State's offense is designed for him to be a, a pass catcher, more used in, 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 in blocking. But man, everything just looked effortless to me. Everything just looked... It was free-flowing. It was just you can tell he was just, he knew what he was going to do before he did it. And everything just looked great. I was really impressed by him. Uh, again, not a scout. I don't pretend to be I'd leave that to the TDN scouting team. But for me, with my eyes being down there at, at mobile, Jeremy Ruckert, uh, Trey McBride caught my eye, but the tight end that everybody in the TDN community um, thought had a great week. You mentioned him, Greg Dolchich, this guy every day for that practice was just doing something. Did great in the game. Just do Just, making plays just out there, making plays, having a great week. So he's a name that I think is going to rise up, up the board. Isaiah likely had a good week. And then, I mean, Glenn, those are just the guys that are at mobile. I mean, you have the guys that weren't at mobile. Yep. You have Jalen Weidemeyer, you have, you have Kate Otten, you have, I mean, there's just so many guys you, you mentioned um, the, the kid from um, Virginia tech, James Mitchell, you have all these guys that weren't there that people are talking about as tight ends. It's a big group to pick from. Um, and I think, I think 35 or 38, one of those two picks, if, if there's a tight end like Trey McBride on, on the board, he's coming off the board.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, the, the thing you said that, that I was going to ask about next um, in looking at what the Jets do or really what they don't have at tight end currently. Um, uh, for me personally, look, again, I feel like take advantage of the depth of this class. I, I would take two if I'm Joe Douglas. I'm not saying I take two early, but I'm taking someone in that the 35-38 range I think is ideal. But then maybe later on, maybe a Jake Ferguson if he's there a couple rounds later. Or a guy like Mitchell, would, would you double dip given the fact that they don't really have a legitimate threat at tight end? You know, even though some of us, you know, I liked Kenny Yeboah coming in, but, you know, liking a guy and, and you know, isn't enough of a reason to not take someone who plays that position. It's not as if Kenny Yeboah did anything this season. Um, he may eventually become a player. And I, I like I said, I, I liked him coming out as, a, as I thought he would be a nice day three pick, ended up going undrafted. But would you consider taking two tight ends?
1: So can I answer your question with a question in this scenario that we're playing out? I'm assuming this means that they're not backing up the Brinks truck for Dalton Schultz. like everybody on Jet Twitter wants that would be fair. Uh, then yes, I'm fine with it. Right. I mean, I, I certainly have my concerns about, and I understand tight ends a huge priority and I understand the idea of man, let's sign a guy and let's draft a guy. We'll pair those guys together. That'll be great. I understand that I'm all in for it. I just don't think one Dalton Schultz is probably going to be available. I think he's just going to resign in Dallas and two, he played really well this season and now you're paying a premium because you're paying him off of the great year that he had. And that scares me a little bit, right? There's a lot of other pressing needs that this team has mainly on defense that I think they need to address through free agency um, that I think double dipping on tight end would make sense. So yeah, I I'm, I'm in on a double dip as long as it's not with the backdrop of we've also paid Dalton Schultz a gajillion dollars.
0: Yeah. I, I think with the, I think with Schultz, uh, you know, they may make a move for him, but I, I want, if you can get two guys who can, who can do it all, who can, you know, who can be a pass catcher, who can, who can block in line, split out wide a little bit. I don't – the little bit I've watched of Schultz, he hasn't blown me away as a blocker, whereas a guy, as you mentioned, a guy like Dulcich, he can block. I feel like Ferguson can be a good blocker. Um, Charlie Kolar, who we didn't even mention yet, you know, is another guy. The, the, it's just a deep class with a lot of guys who can do a lot of what you ask them. Um, last question on the tight ends, actually, because you mentioned him and really, I feel like coming into the year, he was tight end one for everyone, Jalen Weidermeyer, um, any concerns with him for you again, having rewatched that, that Texas a Arkansas game today, he had back-to-back drops in that game on the same drive. Um, I've, you know, I, I don't have the opportunity to watch 10 different games on every single guy, but I would say on the, the, the three to four games I've watched Weidermeyer play, I think I've counted about seven drops. Um, that, that at some point it, it, you're like, is it a fluke thing that I happen to catch his worst couple of games? Or is this, is this a legitimate thing? Cause he has gone from tight end one on a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of people speculating he, he's dropped and had a few guys leapfrog him now.
1: So I, I will tell you, cause I can, I can look at the TD and scouting report and the way that we do the scouting reports. Uh, the person who writes the film evaluation says what games that they've watched, Right. Yeah, they say familiar, the, the best yeah. game and the worst game that they've studied. So, I didn't know what Weidermeyer's scouting report looked like, so I wanted to see if the game that you mentioned ended up here on the list. It didn't. The worst game that was studied by Brentley Weisman, who did the scouting report on Weidermeyer, he, he re- referred to the Alabama 2021 game as the worst game he watched. He did not watch the Arkansas 2021 game. That's not part okay. of this list, so maybe that's a, a bit of a different here. Uh, but I will say this. When it comes to, to these players, right, there's so much of... What you're, what is expected of you before the season. And if you don't live up to that, you just all of a sudden, now you're the worst player in the world. We can't draft you where we thought you were going to be drafted. You're just, you're the worst of the worst, right? That's just a natural reaction that we all have. And hopefully everyone catches me being facetious about that. But that's what happens, right? If there's yeah, an expectation, <laughs> when there's an expectation of a guy and then they don't meet what the media-driven narrative on that guy is, now it's all of a sudden, well, we can't, oh, we, we can't draft this guy in the second or third round. What are we doing? There's that. And then there's also like, I don't know how many people watch Trey McBride at Colorado state. And now everyone's talking about Trey McBride. So he gets talked up. Everyone's talking about the week that Jeremy Ruckert had. Okay. He gets talked up. And so Weitermeyer not there, not doing these things. So it, you see these guys that are out there that are in front that are on the front of people's minds because they're out at these events, they're doing things where Weitermeyer's not doing that. There's, there, there is a sort of what have you done for me lately thing? And people just, in the back of their mind, Weidermeyer hasn't done anything in a little bit, right? And so that's kind of part of it as well. Listen, this is a deep class. If you get guys, none of these guys I think are first round talents. Trey McBride might sneak into the first round because the team wants a tight end, but I don't think any of these guys are first round tight ends. If you get any of these guys on day two or day three, give or take 10 spots where we think they're going to go, I'm not going to complain. If they took in with 38, I don't think that's egregious. I don't. I don't think it's egregious. There are t- other tight ends that I would take before him, but I don't think it's egregious. I don't think I'd be writing a think piece on the internet about it. You know?
0: Yeah. I, that that's that's kind of where I am in terms of even even seeing Weidermeyer with the drops. Um, you see him as a blocker, and you see him when he does make plays with the ball to get a guy you know who can contribute, be a starter in that spot. You know, no issues with that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes, though. You know, Isaiah Likely, good, very talented player. But um, is, is he as versatile as those guys? Is he as good of a blocker? You know, from what I've watched, I don't think he is. But they're going to have some options there, which is what it boils down to and, and, you know, makes it exciting. Because when you have a need that that's pressing, it, it feels like in years past, when if, you, if you racked and stacked the Jets' two or three biggest needs, those would be the two worst position groups in the class. You know, so it, it kind of, you'd feel like you were stung. But um, wanted to touch next on a, a position that a lot of people have, have are mocking the Jets to go. Uh, Some people, I think they have them going too early, Um, and that's at corner. I mean, the Jets do need help at corner. I know, you know, uh, Brandon Echols was a nice story that he played well for considered his draft position, but he's not a guy – you don't go into a season and say this guy's our definite number two. Like, you want to absolutely have him compete with whoever comes in. Um, Hopefully, you know, hopefully you land one in free agency, um, but I think you're going to take another one in the draft. I don't see them – I see people mocking Stingley at 4 and 10. I just don't see it. I know McShay had them taking a corner at 10, um, which, uh, you know, it would surprise me because I, I just think that, I think, I think we'll see them go corner, but I think it'll be in that round two, three, maybe round one if you trade down and add a pick or two. But what do you think they do A corner? It's, it's
1: been probably the most fascinating discourse I've seen from the Jets' perspective during draft season because there's nothing about the way Robert Sala... Coaches his defense, the way he structures his defense, that screams to me that he needs to take a corner in the top 10, right? Just doesn't scream that to me. And then you pair that with the fact that the guy that's being mocked to the Jets the most is Derek Stingley Jr., who fantastic player. You put on that freshman tape from Derek Stingley Jr., you go, wow, this is a top 10 player. That was two years ago. That's the problem I have with Derek Stingley is the tape that everyone is, you know, going crazy about is from two years ago, has not gotten anywhere close to that production. And so that's a little concerning look I think as currently constructed I see at least I see these three corners coming off the board in the first round I see Derek Stingley going somewhere Andrew Booth and I'm Gardner those three guys are, are, are first round corners are coming off the board then I start to get into okay is Roger McCreary going to be a first round corner the size was a concern after the measurables at the senior bowl now he d- didn't play like he was smaller than we anticipated he went out and balled and if the Jets were able to snag him at 35 you run to the podium with the pick at that point Trent McDuffie uh, Kyler Gordon. I mean, these are all guys that I think could potentially sneak into the first round depending on the evaluating uh, team in question. But look, I, I look at guys that could potentially be there on day two. Roger McCreary, if the size is a concern for some teams, he could fall. Um, Mario Good, Goodrich, the other Clemson corner. Everyone talks about Andrew Booth. Put on some Mario Goodrich film. You'll, you'll be you'll be impressed. Uh, he could be a, definitely a day two guy. Colby uh, Bryant, the kid from Cincinnati, part of that great Cincinnati defense. There are guys that I saw down in, in Mobile that are not going to be sexy day one, any of the top of the, the class guys, but they could be day two guys. They could be second or third round guys. They could even be day three guys that I think the Jets could find that could fit what they're looking for on defense. So I don't think it is a pressing need that the Jets absolutely have to take a corner with either four or 10. I do not believe that. I don't believe that's what Robert Sala and Joe Douglas believe either. Um, if they took sauce at 10, I'd be good with that. I mean, I think sauce of the corners that I mentioned the three in the first round is mm-hmm. the guy that fits what they want to do the most. Plays, you know, they want to play zone. That's what they do. And I think Sauce fits that. And so it's just going to be of do they really love the skill set of Sauce enough to take him at 10? Or do they feel, man, there's a lot of other guys that we can take at 35, 38, end of day two, beginning of day three? And I think that's what they're ultimately going to end up doing. Or, and again, this is something that I think people just forget about. They could take 38 and say, you know what, we're moving back into the first round, the back half of the first round. We're going to take a guy because there's a guy that's starting to fall and we don't understand how this guy's still on the board. They could do that too.
0: Yeah, that was something I wondered uh, out loud the other day. I actually tweeted it out that, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, McBride not being a first rounder. And part of me wonders if the the way he performed in the game and if that staff, like if they like him enough, you know, whether it's Sala, whether it's the floor, do they say to Joe Douglas, look, man, give up, give up a fourth to move up to from 35 to 32 and grab this kid. We lock him up and we get an extra year. Out of him for being a first rounder versus a second. So that's, I think that I think moving up from 35 or 38 to 31 or 32 is in play, regardless of the position. Like you said, if somebody's falling and you're the Jets and you have those two seconds at two at the top of the second, why not give one of them up along with a three or a four to move up a few spots and grab a guy.
1: Give you, I'll give you a perfect example, right? Let's say they take I can at four. They take Jermaine Johnson at ten, and they're sitting there. They're done for the night. They, they they've done their job. They've made their two picks. They've stayed at four and ten. They've done what they've needed to do. And Traylon Burke starts to fall. Jamison Williams starts to fall and they're like, ah, I don't know if they're going to get there at 35 Jacksonville's in front of us at the top of the mm-hmm. second round. We need to move up. Well, guess what? That's what, thir- that's what having that Carolina seconds for, because you stay at 35, you offer a team 38, you have two fourths, you give them a fourth, you can give them something from next year's draft. And you just go, can we just politely move up here, please? So we can take our guy. Right. And then now all of a sudden you've got, Ike Mcwanu, you got Jermaine Johnson. And now you traded up for Trey McBride, Trey Burks, Jamison Williams. If you want to get an offensive playmaker. Yeah, I, that is a realistic possibility that they could execute on draft night.
0: Yeah, I, that was one of the first thoughts I had, you know, obviously, other than feeling bad for the kid when Jameson Williams got hurt. I thought to myself, if no one moves up like the Chiefs are going to grab this guy. He's going yeah, to, we can't, we, well, we can't let that happen.
1: As, that, as a NFL fan base, we cannot let that happen. We cannot that, let the chiefs get Jamison Williams.
0: Yeah. Cause you know, he's a guy in a million years, they don't get him if he's healthy. And then you see that injury and you go, Oh God, now you, you can add him to that offense, you know, a year from now. And, uh, and no one's going to be able to stop them. So that would be, you know, that, far from ideal, but uh, I'm glad you mentioned earlier, um, you know, the fact that, I don't see enough people talking about the importance and I I don't know if it's the fantasy football effect. I don't know if it's because it's the more entertaining side of the ball, but I hear so much talk about offense, 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 offense. And I just keep reminding people. I'm like, this defense just gave up 500 points for the first time in team history, the worst defense they've ever fielded. And people just, so what you got, you got to be able to, you got to be able to score. You got to be able to score. And they, you know, and they point to you know, what's happening in Cincinnati with their receivers. They point to a lot of these young offenses. But they don't look at, say, for example, Dallas, where they've spent a ton of money and a ton of premium picks on the offensive side of the ball, and they, they got shut down in the playoffs this year. They had a hard time finding the end zone. So, you know, it's, it's the old, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's no perfect formula. But part of the formula, I promise you, is not giving up 500 points. So we've talked about corner. How dire of a need do you see safety as being, and do you use a pick at safety, or do you look at because there are some good free agent players out there? Um, Ashton Davis played a little better as the season went on, and you know the, the safety class there isn't there aren't a ton of guys that you would want to take early on. How do you approach safety if you're Joe Douglas?
1: I'll tell you what, to go back to the point that you were just making, because I, there's one safety in particular that I do want to talk about. The Chiefs lost the AFC Championship game, one, because they couldn't score in the second half, but two, they had a 21-3 to lead, and their defense was Swiss cheese. So you got to have a defense. I know everyone's talking about, oh, just get more playmakers for Patrick Mahomes. Can you help the defense out? Because Patrick Mahomes, look what he had to do against Buffalo. in order to just win the football game. He had to go to overtime and had to do all of those crazy theatrics just to be able to play in the AFC Championship game. And by the way, the Rams are playing in the Super Bowl in large part because they have Von Miller, Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey. So they've built from their defense. It's a little bit of a stars and scrubs mentality, but they've got some studs on that team. So you can do this in different ways, and I think just trying to mirror what one team did is a recipe for disaster. Um, If the Jets took Kyle Hamilton at number four, Glenn, I wouldn't be upset with that. I would be okay. Okay. That, that would work for me. He's such a unicorn at the position. He just does so many things. He's just so athletic. He's just all over the place. He's just one of those players that you just watch on tape, and you're like, oh, this guy just does everything. He just literally does everything. And if they took him at four, I I I can't blame them. And again, in the in the draft community, and the NFL prioritizes this too, safety's not one of those positions you think of using a top five pick on, right? Left tackle, corner, quarterback depending on if you're the giants a running back, right? You do these different things where you have these top positions that you prioritize and give that top five weight to safety is not normally one of those positions. Kyle Hamilton's that different of a player. He's just that different. After that, I think any of these other guys, Jaquan Brisker, um, Daxton Hill, Verone McKinley, I think all those guys are day two, day three guys. Like, I just don't think they're guys that you're talking about making a a pick in the first round. And I don't even know if you'd use 35 or 38 on one of those guys. I really don't. Um, Yeah, that's really it for me. If you're going to go safety, it's Kyle Hamilton at four. Listen, Jesse Bates is going to be a free agent after he's done with the Super Bowl. If he does not get tagged by the Cincinnati Bengals, and there's a good chance that they do that. That is a guy that I would circle if I was Joe Douglas. You can back up the brink truck for that guy.
0: Yeah, I think, I think Hamilton is an interesting uh, discussion. Um, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm one of those guys. I don't want a safety that early on. Um, but if, if you're going to get one, it's got to be a guy. I said before I'd even watched any of Hamilton a couple of months ago, you know, I'd seen some highlights but hadn't watched any full games yet. Um, my, my number one thing was he better be, if you're even considering him, you know, I think the the, the the example I gave, which slightly, slightly uh, over the top, I said he's got to be – you have to believe he's Ed Reed if you're taking him at war, or Troy Polamalu, something like that. But really in my mind, I'm thinking he's got to be able to do everything, obviously. He can't have any holes in his game. Um, but he's he's got to be able to cover a lot of ground and and ball hawk. And, he does. And, and then He you, does those things. That's what I was going to say. I threw on a couple of games, and I see him um, – which, which game was it? I'm drawing a blank now. But it gave me – oh, FSU. We had two picks, and one of them, he's on the far hash, and he covers two-thirds of the field. <laughs> I know the play line. you're talking about. Yep. And I thought, well, there you go. Like That's the thing I literally said. He's got to be able to do that, and now I've seen him do it. Um, I, That made me a lot more comfortable with the possibility. I think the only way that happens, it, I think it's going to be a Salah pick. I think it's going to be Robert Salah saying, I just gave up 500 points. I need a guy who I can move around the field to do everything, and this is the guy who can do it. Um, I still don't see it happening. There would be a part of me, maybe it's a little Jamal Adams PTSD, but I would kind of go, ah, oh, man, you know, safety at four. But really, if the guy, you know, as if, if he becomes the player you think he can be, then he's worth it at four. I, I agree with that. I just think Joe Douglas, because we've seen him spend early picks on the premiums, the left tackle, quarterback, the big money on edge and Carl Lawson, I, I tend to think he's going to go with Iquanu I- if one of the edge guys isn't there. But Hamilton, I'm, I'm far more comfortable with it now than I was a couple of months ago.
1: He's just a different kind of player, right? And, and there's, there's a scenario. It requires you to be really optimistic about the way that the board falls out. There's a chance he could also be there at 10. Like, we've done it. Like, on, on the Draft Dudes podcast that I host with Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino... They, we do mocks every month and right. we do these scenarios. It's played out that way where they're just so worried about, okay, Carolina needs a quarterback. We got to get the defense for the, the, we need an edge rusher for the giants. And you just get so locked into what you're doing that Kyle Hamilton has fallen to the jets at 10. He, he, it happened in the, in the January mock that we did. He got there just because of the way that the, the, needs of the other teams played out. So it's possible, but if you, if you really like the guy, right, if he's a top of your board and I think there's a chance he might be just that's how good of a player he is that if he's there at four, I think they'll just take him. They're not going to risk him being there at 10. But having that extra pick at 10 allows you to maybe be like, okay, we like a bunch of different guys. We'll take this guy here. And whichever one of these guys is left at 10, we'll take. It's a unique scenario that they find themselves in, a scenario that I don't think, like I said at the the beginning of the show, I don't think any of us thought we were going to be in where the Jets were going to have two top 10 picks. It's a great position for this team at this juncture to be in. But yeah, man, Kyle Hamilton at four. Like the more I do these mocks, when he's there at four, it's hard for me to not click the button that says draft. Like I'm just like, okay, I'll just put Kyle Hamilton in there. And I know Jamal Adams, I get it, I understand. Yeah, but different this is players. Yeah, different player, and much and different. and and this guy's it's a different coaching staff. It's like this. This is just it. Just makes sense, man. It would just be so much fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I, I totally get that. And uh, like I said, it's it's uh, I think he's a different player than Jamal. Jamal was never a guy who intercepted the football, even in college. Uh, only had two or three picks at LSU has only had, what, three picks, two, three picks in in a few years as a pro. Um, Only one or two of those, really, uh, even against starting quarterbacks. This is the first season that guy intercepted a starting quarterback, which is crazy if you think about it. But uh, I'm going to let you go. I just had one more quick question because you mentioned teams, you know, guys falling in the top ten. Is there a quarterback, you know, Malik Willis is the guy who comes to mind, is there a quarterback who can do enough to get a team like, say, the Pittsburgh Steelers or the New Orleans Saints, get a team to say, we need to get up to 10 to get this guy. I don't think any quarterback in this class is going to have anyone jumping to four. Um, but is, is there a guy who could have a team say, let's try to move up to 10 to grab this guy?
1: So the, the idea of four would be, is if you're worried about Carolina at six, right? That would be the only reason why you'd have to jump to four. The giants aren't going to take a quarterback with five or seven. They're committed to Daniel Jones for this season, uh, Atlanta. They didn't take a quarterback last year. So they're not going to take one this year, Denver. We'll see with the Aaron Rodgers stuff because if they don't do that, they're going to be in the market for a quarterback, right? If they don't land Russ or Rodgers or any of the guys that are available in the trade market – then they could be a team that could take a quarterback. So the only reason why you need to get in front of, you need to get four is if you need to get in front of Carolina. Um, None of these quarterbacks impressed me. Um, And I think if you are a Jets fan, you should be very happy that the Jets did what they did, because I know there was a small portion of Jets fandom. And I heard about it from non-Jets fans in the TDN circle of, no, just stick with Sam for another year, give him another chance. And then at the end of that year, if it's it's over, you just move on. Do we really want to be taking a quarterback in this year's draft class? No, thank you. I'm very content with the decision that was made last year with Zach Wilson. Um, Malik Willis is that guy that I think if a team's going to move up for, it, it, it's him. He was very impressive um, throughout the week in Mobile. Uh, Joe Marino of, of the Draft Network, he said it so many times. It is actually a quote above my uh, above my work setup here. I, have, I had to put on a frame here. Malik Willis on day one of practice had the five best throws of practice, and he had the five worst five throws worse. of practice. Yep. He was on the wor- he was on both ends of the spectrum. Then he took coaching the next day from the Lions coaching staff because that was the group that he was with, and he got better as the week went on. You can just tell the traits are there for this guy that these other guys don't have. He can run. He can extend plays. He has that natural arm strength to get the ball down the field. He's got those things that Kenny Pickett just doesn't have. He he has things that Carson Strong just doesn't have that Sam Howell doesn't have that Bailey Zappi doesn't have just naming the quarterbacks that were there. Desmond Ritter, the guys that were there mobile. He stands out because he has traits that those guys don't have. He has those those things that you can't teach. You can teach a good portion of the quarterback play from the neck up, right? You can teach the processing. You can teach the scheme. You can, you can get them on a whiteboard and you can, and you can coach a guy up. You can't teach the athleticism part of the game. And Malik Willis has that. It's the other stuff that he has to work on. But if there's a guy, I think the NFL is going to bet on traits and they're going to bet on Malik Willis. And that would be the guy that a team would go up and trade for.
0: All right. Chris Hubert of the draft network. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Um, really looking forward to you guys continuing to cover the draft leading up to the day and then beyond. Cause you know, as soon as the draft ends, everyone start mocking the next one. 2023, right? 2023 yeah, exactly. starts the, the moment that day exactly. three is over.
1: We're on 2023 begins.
0: Yep. All right. So thanks a lot for joining us, Chris. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye.